Small businesses are the backbone of America, and they help keep the spirit of Texas alive. But did you know as many as 50% will close their doors forever after just five years? Well, we're here to change that. This is The Beef. We know how tough it is to be an entrepreneur today. We're giving small business owners a platform to share their story. You'll hear it all. The highs and the lows. The good and the bad. But most importantly, you'll learn. Welcome to The Beef. The Beef. All right, y'all. I've been telling you it's coming, and we are finally here. We are at the last episode of the Beef Podcast. So as I've said for the past year, every single week, welcome back to another episode of the Beef Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Kelly, aka John the Marketer on Instagram and TikTok. Now, don't take my aura the way that I'm feeling and talking right now is sadness because it's bittersweet, right? It's it's sad that we're getting away from the beef podcast and such an awesome intro, but I've got to tell you, we're going to talk a little bit more about it at the end of the show, but our new artwork, our new intro, our new outro, it is just as good because beefy marketing doesn't produce anything that's bad. So it's just as good. You're going to love it. I promise. But I'm excited for this episode because it's the final episode and we have one of our awesome clients that we've had for a long time. I've got Evan in the studio with me today. He is from Staying Ahead of the Game. Evan, welcome to the studio, man. Welcome to the show. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Love you guys. You know that. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> this is, uh, it, it's cool to have one of our clients on because it's like, you know, just an added benefit of doing business with us is we want to take you to the public and kind of get that information out there for them. And I know this episode is going to be awesome because Andrew's been hyping it up. He was like, dude, y'all are probably going to talk for so long. So, <laughs> but our listeners have to stay tuned in because, man, I'm going to reveal the new name. I'm going to reveal all kinds of stuff. I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll get excited and show some things off on this one. But uh, for sure, we're here for the final episode, so we're going to rock and roll with it. And every single episode, we always start out with an icebreaker question. So the icebreaker question today is, how do you blow off steam after a stressful situation or a stressful day? Ooh, good question. And I did not get this question beforehand. Nope, so this is, this is genuine. This is genuine. <laughs> Honestly, I blow off steam. If I've had a rough day, a rough part of the day, it always makes me feel better. I do a Costco run <laughs> and I go get a car wash. For some reason, that, that makes me, <laughs> for some reason, that makes me feel better. That's, yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's where I am in life. That's how I blow off steam and, uh, you know, call, call some friends, see what they're up to, get some updates on their life. And sometimes when you take yourself out of your own life for a moment, that's, uh, that's helpful. So that's how I blow off steam. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're getting older when you get excited about little things. Like for us, the first one my wife and I ever did that we were like, man, we're old. We were excited about a new washer and dryer. <laughs> and it's like those kind of things. That's how you just know. It's like my car is clean. Man, life is good. <laughs> like that's how you know you've hit that point. For me, it's always been video games. I have played video games since I was a kid. And uh, my wife and I now, it's just like at the end of the night, it's just something we do. We play Super Smash on the Switch. Almost yeah. said we. Telling my age over here. I've, I've had every <laughs> Nintendo from the beginning. So... We get on the Switch, man. We play Super Smash Bros. And we just like beat the crap out of each other on the screen and just take out the stress of the day. Because it's always like 
right after we get the kids to bed and we just spend some time together. And I don't so, know. So I guess I answered half your question. The way I blow off steam at night, no matter how good or bad my day was, no matter how long it ran, at the end of the night, I always watch one or two episodes of whatever show I'm into. You know, I stopped watching movies oh, yeah. years ago because I found I was always disappointed. <laughs> Either the movie was awful and I, w- I was just upset I could never get that time back in my life. Or the movie was great and then it's over. And I right. was real upset. You know, if there is a sequel, it's never as good. And no, it's always no. years down the road. And and so I, I start getting into these seasons of shows where if it's great, if it sucks, then you know what? After an episode or two, you try the next one. But if it's great and everybody else agrees it's great, then it'll stick around for a season, next season, next. And so it's like a movie that, that never, you know, stops. Kind of never stops. So yeah. I always end the night with an episode or two of my favorite show. So that's how I blow steam, you know, kind of kind of in the evening time. I did get a Nintendo Switch for my son who just turned eight. I did get a Nintendo Switch and I found myself uh, playing Mario Kart. Oh, Mario Super Kart's Mario fun. Kart at the end of the night. Um, he doesn't even know this. He might find out from this podcast. But <laughs> He's going to be like, so, that's why my controller is always in a different spot. <laughs> so, so sometimes I, I do that. But man, I had to retire from like intense video games. I just was mad at myself at how much time I said those God. double XP weekends and stuff like that. Yep. I, I mean, the new maps that would come out on Call of Duty. I just, I'm the same way. That's uh, I was heavily into Call of Duty. GTA five, man, I would spend Mm. hours and it's the same thing. I was, I found myself griping about how much I wasn't getting done in other places. And then I was like, well, but you're spending five hours on video games, you know, like every day, basically. I was so proud of myself for, I like prestige to the last level, the skull and crossbones (laughs) on call of duty. Yeah. And I was so proud of myself. And then I realized I can't put that on my LinkedIn. It doesn't bring income home. I mean, you can, but yeah. <laughs> I've sucked a lot of time doing that. It doesn't qualify so you for I, much. Yeah. So I had to, I had to retire. <laughs> yep. No, I'm with you, man. I, I still, like I said, I still waste some time on video games, but it's normally the end of the night whenever I've got nothing else going on. I mean, I guess that's my nightly routine, but I look forward to it after a stressful day. But for me, honestly, sleep is a big one too. Like I just feel so drained at the end of a stressful day or after a situation that I'm just like. I'm out of it, man. I'll be totally out of it. I mean, you could see on my face, like when I got to the office yesterday, uh, I got held over for the first part of the day at my full-time job, which is at a fire station. And then I came into the office and they're like, oh my God, you look so tired. And I was like, well, <laughs> thank you. That's that makes me feel so great. No, but they were right. I mean, like I just, my face is just like done for man, you. Man, I don't know it. if you've got kids, but you'll redefine tired if you have, when you have three kids. of them. Oh, you have three? Yeah, three. Oh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, it's always stressful. So I look forward to that sleep because last night I passed out. I had to go back to work after this. So I had to leave work. I had to stay late at work, leave work to come to work and then leave work to go home real quick, shower, change, eat a bite, and then go back and to then work. go back to work and then left that work to come back to work. today. <laughs> <laughs> so that's enough work. Okay. Um, no, it was, it's stressful. And I passed out on the recliner at like eight, eight thirty last night and woke up at about three this morning and was like, Hmm. Okay, guess I needed that. <laughs> and I was freezing cold. So I went and got my blanket, went right back to bed. <laughs> right back to bed. <laughs> and then woke up at about, I would say, 6.30 or so. And I was like, man, how am I still tired? <laughs> but I feel better now. I'm good, all into good. it. So, man, we'll just hop into the big stuff. Tell me all about Evan and where you came from and how you got into entrepreneurship. Wow. So, yeah, it's a loaded question. I... 
let's see. I, I grew up in Houston. I went, I'm Jewish. I went to a little Jewish private school my whole life. Uh, changed the name and location after I graduated, so it might not mean much to folks. Graduated high school a year early and lived in Israel with uh, four of my best friends, which wow. was one of the best years of my life. It was awesome. And there, you know, it was a half day of almost like some seminary type of, you know, type of work. And then uh, I lived in the dorms most of the time at a university and, and took some actual college classes, transferred that credit in and, and then went to college, at Rhodes College in Memphis, Tennessee. I thought I wanted to be a doctor, right? Be a good Jewish boy and be a doctor. But one thing I, I really appreciate that my parents did was they encouraged me to spend time with professionals in, in different fields. And so I did. I, I did call it like practicum experience, you know, but it was a lot of family friends and, and friends of friends. And uh, I spent a few days with whether it was accountant, somebody kind of management and business and finance and different fields of medicine. And I was really, I was interested in, in medicine. And I decided I didn't want to be a doctor when I was working with the head of all surgery at Methodist Hospital. And I had kind of an all access pass into the operating rooms alongside the med students. And they were they were all upset about the same stuff. And, you know, it was a teaching hospital. So they had med students in there for one of the surgeries that this uh, chief was actually doing himself. And he stopped before he was doing the sutures, you know, where they, they kind of sew you up. He said, all right, students, what, uh, what sutures am I going to use in this case? And so one of the Brainiac students jumped in and said, you know what, I'm going to use these sutures. And he said, ah, wrong. And the med students were dumbfounded. And, you know, I didn't know any difference. So I'm yeah. just observing. And the doctor said, well, you would be right. That's what I should use. But I can't because insurance won't cover it. And that's, you know, I, I feel like my passion, I want to do surgery. Wasn't sure if I wanted to specialize or not. But I, I started to hear similar things from doctors. And, and really to get into medicine now, you got to not just like it, not just like it a lot, but you have to absolutely love it. And maybe I just liked it a lot. Yeah, <laughs> so that's I, didn't, I didn't love it, you know. So, so in school at Rhodes College, I, my, you know, I, degrees were in uh, biology, which are med school, you know, and then religious studies, since I had spent so much time in Israel and had transferred in some credit in the religious studies umbrella already. So I finished with degrees in that. Took the MCAT while it was fresh on my mind, but kind of already knew I was going to explore some other things. I took some post back classes in psychology, which was always an interest of mine. My father was a, a well-known clinical psychologist, and I, I felt like I could always kind of default back to that path if I wanted to. So I took some post-bac classes here locally in Houston in psychology, and in an intro to psychology course, I discovered industrial and organizational psychology, which was interesting. It's In Europe, they call it work psychology, which is actually probably more appropriate. But you look at all these different variables and how they relate to people's performance at work, right? What keeps people happy at work? What keeps people from stealing from you at work? What are the personalities in the workplace, right? And everything seems to relate to job performance. How does that impact employees' job performance? And I was like, wow, that's really, that's really interesting. And, you know, I heard that folks that get into that and clinical psychology, they're both pretty competitive, but, you know, people do pretty well, you know, et cetera. So I decided to pivot and I thought that's, that's what I wanted to do. And so I, I went and applied to doctoral programs, directly into doctoral programs for industrial and organizational psychology. Got into a few places, but found myself in a program here locally. And so here I was kind of staying in Houston and starting doctoral work in industrial and organizational psychology, which was great. 
Well, a little bit of backstory. I struggled in school. You wouldn't know it from my grades. My grades were always good, but I, you know, I was lucky. I had to live in shrink, right? I had a clinic. Yeah. My dad was a clinical psychologist. Yep. I'm the oldest of three. My mother spent a tremendous amount of time with me uh, being the oldest she could and to develop some skills that I'll talk about in a minute that we now call executive function skills, but that helped me. It was chaotic behind the scenes, but that helped me to maintain high levels of performance in in school. So you wouldn't know from my grades that I struggled, but things took me two, three, four, sometimes five times longer than my peers to knock it out and get it done. Yeah. So that experience on top of in graduate school in my industrial and organizational psychology program, I became interested from a research standpoint in, in a few things. One is called polychronicity, which is a, a fancy word in the primary literature for like multitasking, time management, you know, kind of stuff. And impression management, how through our behavior, we can manage the impressions that other people form about us. And so that was interesting too. And, you know, there were some other things like work stress and and executive coaching was real interesting to me too. Like, what did that mean? What was a coach for executives? Part of the hazing process in, in graduate school is you also teach, right? So in between college and graduate school, I had started tutoring, but it wasn't it wasn't traditional tutoring like math, science, English. You know, it was it was more what I called at the time life skills type of tutoring. Mm -hmm. The things that helped me and that my mother helped me with that really helped me to maintain that high level of performance despite some learning differences, you know, ADHD and auditory processing issues and reading comprehension issues that despite that, what helped me to achieve were these, what we now call executive function skills, organization, time management, study skills, certain aspects of kind of social skills, managing impressions, you know, et cetera. And so getting into entrepreneurship was really the trifecta of my own experiences and struggles in school, the research and the things that I were learning, the theories and all the knowledge and data that we had in kind of IO psychology in those areas of interest where I was doing research. And then from teaching, I was teaching juniors and seniors in college. So it was this kind of trifecta and I developed this idea or rather kind of noticed that there is a huge gap in the educational support space. There's a lot of traditional tutoring companies and it, and it's natural and it seems natural. If a kid's struggling in math, you get them a math tutor, right? But what I was finding from, you know, kind of doing this relatively informally, I, you know, I, I didn't have a company yet, you know, et cetera, and working with kids was that they were having similar experiences and struggles that I had and they didn't have some of the support. They weren't quite as lucky. The, the stars didn't align quite as much for them, right? right. And so I, I noticed that there was, this, there was this gap that when kids are struggling in math, oftentimes it's bright kids that aren't struggling with the actual math. Right. They're struggling with getting what they are asked to do in on time, right? So success in school is, is not necessarily about how bright you are. It's, it's what systems do you have in place in order to keep track of those short-term, medium-term, long-term type of things that are being asked of you from six, seven, eight different teachers and juggling all of those deadlines and then meeting those obligations, getting those things in. And so when you look at a kid that's struggling in math, you have to ask as a parent, are they struggling with the actual math? But Or is it if I look at the grades, 
they're not starting three or four days in advance. They're not giving themselves an opportunity to actually study. Maybe they don't even know what that dirty five-letter word study even means. Yeah. They're not giving themselves an opportunity to use the teacher and other resources that are often free at their disposal. And so, of course, they're not performing or they don't have a good system for keeping up with those deadlines. So they're just turning things in late. Maybe the stuff they turned in was was correct, but their grade is poor in math, yep. but it's not a reflection of poor math skills. And so you throw a math tutor in there and it's not going to help the situation. And I realized there wasn't really any anyone in the educational support space, at least at the time, who was going in and helping students with these executive function skills, those skills that represent the foundation for success. You know, I, sometimes I joke and I call myself and my team, we're, we're juggling instructors. You know, we teach kids how to develop the systems to juggle all the different demands, school and otherwise, yeah. because what that has in common is the, is the kid, the individual. So that's still of concern to that individual. How do you juggle all those responsibilities and still deliver what you need when you need to deliver it. And so that's, I I kind of got into entrepreneurship where what I had started doing informally between college and graduate school, I realized really represented a true niche in the market and, and a gap. And I, you know, I was faced with a decision, grad school is busy. I was faced with a decision. Do I close down what I'm doing and really focus on this? Or do I try to do both and hire some people? So, you know, I'm a glutton for punishment. I chose the latter, right? So I, I, um, you know, hired some people and started with some friends who had, you know, read some different books than I did and had got some different hands involved in helping me figure out what I was doing and actually get it down on paper so I could start training other people to do it. And then I learned a bunch about, about business along the way, in some cases, the hard way, right? I mean, I think I operated for two and a half years without insurance. I didn't even, I didn't even know I needed to do that, right? <laughs> um, and, and I'm glad, you know, in entrepreneurship, I think in a way, ignorance is bliss. I think that um, if somebody had told me everything that was involved in running a successful company mm. as I was starting it, I don't know if I ever would have done it. So I'm I'm kind of glad that I was just, you know, a little narcissistic and big-headed and had this idea and said I'm going to go out and I'm going to do it and conquer the world, right? So I right. I'm kind of glad that I didn't know everything that was involved. Um but you don't have to know all the answers at the beginning, you know? Like you will be more prepared to answer hard questions that come up later when they come up. And so, you know, shouldn't be too fearful as an entrepreneur or somebody with a great idea or notices a niche in the market. Well, you start a long journey as you put one foot in front of the other. And so don't don't be afraid to start that journey, even if you don't know all the questions that are going to come up, all the struggles that are going to come up and all the answers. So I don't know if that's short or long-winded, but that is kind of how I got into entrepreneurship. And, you know, we can... We can get into fun stuff later. Uh, you know, in, in graduate school, they give you a stipend, but they don't pay you enough to actually live. So a lot of people get jobs, even if they sign something that they aren't going to. Um, so I had some interesting experiences where I was trying to help out some, uh, you know, some other classmates in my cohort and, and other cohorts and in grad school and trying to provide some opportunities for them. But it was somewhat illicit and that led to some awkward conversations. But there was, you know, even folks in my grad school loved what I was doing and got involved and, you know, boots on the ground kind of helping helping students in, in this way. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy how every entrepreneur story that we tell it always starts with that common denominator of I was doing something, I thought I was passionate about it, and then I figured out I hated it and I wanted to make a change. And then, like you said, it's it's a shot in the dark. You know, it's like risk it all. And if you don't 
absolutely work your face off, you're not going to make it. So every entrepreneur has that story of I worked my face off to make this happen. And it's just interesting how that story always kind of goes there. I guess- I'll tell you, I had a speaker in uh, a big contributor for me too, that I, I still keep in the back of my mind. And I talked about this on a television interview too. Um, but there was a speaker, I couldn't tell you his name. Auditory processing was one of my issues, right? So I couldn't tell you the speaker's name, but I, I attended, I may have even gotten some extra credit for attending, right? But at the end, toward the end of the, of the lecture, this, this speaker said, all right, if you take nothing else from what I've told you today, I want you to take this. So obviously I started listening, yeah. right? That, that <laughs> was my cue, like, okay, else. good, I'm going to get the good <laughs> stuff, right? Yeah. And he said, all the research tells us, even though it doesn't make sense, you know, you want to make money, you should pick the three or four jobs that are the most lucrative, uh, pick which one you hate the least and pursue that, right? Yep. But the research actually doesn't support that. It actually supports the opposite, which doesn't really make sense, which is find something that you love doing first. Don't worry about money. Don't worry about lifestyle. Just, just find something that you love first and then figure out a way to make money doing it. Yep. And that all the research supports that those folks will actually make more money. They will be more successful. They will have more life satisfaction. They will make a bigger splash, bigger impact, et cetera. All the research supports that. I always held on to that. And what did I do? I, I went into education, which is a field that's notorious for being underpaid. Right? Yeah, it is. Um, but it turned out that what I do now is what I really love doing. And I think about that lecture, that presenter a lot. And I have figured out a way to to make a splash and to make money doing it. And, you know, my wife might tell you something different, but I I feel like I've never worked a day in my life because I love what I do. Yeah. Now, she'd say, you know, listen, at different times you've worked, you know, six, sometimes seven days a week, you know, 12, 14, 15 hours a day. But it doesn't feel like work. That's and I don't work key. that much now, yeah. 17 years in. It's not, it doesn't look like that now. But you find something you love doing it and then figure out how to make money and an impact doing yep. it. My wife's the opposite. She always tells me, she's like, well, it doesn't count as work because you love what you do. So it's not really work. And I'm like, that's the whole goal. That's why I do what I do. That's why I work at Beefy because I get to sometimes at work getting paid, be in a cool podcast studio and make podcasts. Sometimes it's drinking beer, hanging out with people, meeting other business owners and just talking to people, which I love to do. And then, you know, it has its days. Like there's some days where I'm in there putting in orders and I'm like, oh my God, there's, I'm grateful for the order, but there's 600 pieces and every one of them's different. I got to figure all this stuff out and there's deadlines and then there's other orders coming in and it has a stressful points, but it's like, I love what I do. So yeah, it does. It feels like I'm at a party all the time. <laughs> uh, I mean, when we went to a podcast conference, there were a couple of times we were at a party, you know, <laughs> we're in the middle of a club with a DJ pumping music, fog machine, drinks being served nonstop as much as you can drink. And it's like, I'm at work right now. This is pretty great, you know? <laughs> and then same thing with the fire department. It's like, I just, I enjoy what I do there. And then sometimes I get to sleep. Sometimes you don't, you know, sometimes you're grocery shopping and get interrupted, but everywhere I go, I love what I do. I'm just trying to find a way to focus more now on making myself money. And as you know, the hard part is with anything that you're starting up, it's getting from that point of, I have nothing to, I have enough money to pay people to help me and to pay myself, you know? So it's a rough struggle for sure. 
But getting into staying ahead of the game and exactly what you do. Sure. I know you said earlier before the show started, you worked with kids. And then, of course, you know, we, we talked a lot about college, graduate, postgraduate, that kind of stuff. Who is your ideal client as far as like, who are you trying to help? And I do have to say, just like, you know, I choose the fire department because I love people. I choose beefy marketing because I love helping entrepreneurs and small businesses. In the same way, I think it's admirable that you have something that is helping people who are in a situation they don't understand. Because this is something I struggle with with my kids. You know, my oldest son, we've gone back and forth between is it behavioral? Is it uh, something in his mind that is just, you know, not making him grasp what he's learning? And then like the usual, you find out, no, the kid's intelligent. He knows what he's looking at. He can give you the answers. He's just not for some reason. And we went back and forth with maybe it's ADHD and we need to give him this medicine and it's going to fix him. And then it didn't fix him. You know, nothing changed. So for the parent that's in the struggle right now, that's listening and knows this pain, I think it's admirable that you have something that is a resource out there. And I'm glad to get the word out there on something like this, because I know that what you are doing helps people that are in that same situation. But does it also help just that person that needs some extra tutoring, some extra study time? You know, tell us about who you are looking for and what you're going to do for them. Sure. So, you know, my dream, gosh, 17 years ago was not necessarily to create a just another traditional tutoring company to help kids with numbers 8, 11, and 13 on their homework. You know, now we do that and we do it quite well. I mean, we support all subjects K through 12, some of the early subjects in uh, kind of undergraduate level college. And then, you know, we do standardized test prep and not, not college selection, but help with college applications, you know, et cetera. So traditional tutoring company type stuff. But my passion was for this executive function work. And so I... I'm not going to be so big headed to say I, I coined the term, but I certainly didn't know anybody was talking about it when I started talking about it, which was this idea of academic coaching. And for me, I came up with that term because I did some research in executive coaching. And so I said, well, academic coaching is kind of like executive coaching for kids. And we are going to help develop their executive function skills um, with these kind of life skills. And and we'll do some traditional tutoring as needed along the way. But what I found, as we mentioned before, is when kids are struggling in a particular class, oftentimes it's an approach issue, an organization issue, a time management issue. It's a lack of study skills. It's not a bad math grade is not always a math problem, right? right? Um, so we, an academic coach is so much bigger than just a tutor. It encompasses tutoring, you know, but for SEO, we have to say academic coaching and tutoring, right? Yeah. But in my mind, academic coach encompasses tutor. So who are our clients? Our clients, I don't have much to offer kids younger than like second or third grade. They just, they don't have the demands at school yeah. yet. I'm not saying you can't work on executive function skills, but that's not our bag, so to speak. Once kids, you know, are third, fourth, fifth grade, thinking ahead at middle school, there's enough enough work and consistent homework to start really working on building those those habits and and routines and building out those systems because there's actually stuff to organize, right? So yep. building out those systems for organization and you can have those discussions about 
how to study systematically and what that dirty five letter word means and what are some research driven ways to actually study and and try to work with kids to figure out which of those research driven ways work for that individual kid. So our clients are generally the youngest are, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade. Most are middle school, high school, and, you know, kind of that freshman, sophomore year college. But, you know, it's on a bell curve. So, you know, we we have worked with some kids that are even younger, and we certainly work with some kids that are late undergraduate school, graduate school. And we've even worked with some adults, man. I have some... uh, I've had clients, right? You know, that we, our model is we, we go to the home. I just, I feel like if we're working in person and we can work virtually too, but if we work, if we're working in person with a family one-on-one basketball coaches coach on a basketball court, that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Right. Soccer coaches coach on a soccer field. That makes a lot of sense. We're in a podcast studio doing a podcast. That makes a lot of sense. I feel like if we're doing academic coaching, they have what they need at school. We need to be at home next to them where they need to practice these tools and and practice and develop these systems and manage distractions and be productive. I want to teach them how to do that in their environment. So while it's nightmarish behind the scenes for us, we've developed some systems in order to make that a bit easier. But I still feel 17 years in, while we have a beautiful office that looks like it was printed off of our website, some of the folks from Beefy have been there uh, and have helped with some of the things that look really pretty in the office. That's mainly for leadership meetings and the occasional client that prefers to come and kind of training new folks that come to the team and, you know, et cetera, right? But I we prefer to go in into the home. And so our typical clients are entering middle, middle school, high school, early college, and something, you know, a typical phone call for us is, you know, hi, my name is X and I have a daughter that's in eighth grade. I know that she doesn't have the executive function skills she needs to be successful with the rigor of high school next year. And I'm worried and, you know, I'm starting to see some of those struggles now. And math has always been a struggle. So if whoever you have can also support as needed with, you know, at that level, it's algebra one, right? Then that would be fantastic. And so we have a really elaborate process. We're the largest academic coaching and tutoring organization in the city. We've grown to be the largest. And so we have, you know, over 80 academic coaches currently and growing. We just welcomed eight more to the team last night. And we have another another one welcoming a bunch more next month. So I think by the end of the school year, we'll have over 100. And so we'll have the biggest team in town. We put a lot of TLC uh, time and effort into matching every student with a coach that's a good fit, not just geographically, because we're going to their home, right? but a good fit in terms of personality, specific needs. Everybody on my team has years of experience in some capacity working with students. Their passion for helping kids in education oozes. They're all certified in our proprietary research-driven and now award-winning program. And so our typical clients you know, are looking at middle school, middle school, high school, early college. Most are in pretty normal school environments, but not all operating possibly with learning differences uh, right next to neurotypical kids, just maybe with some light accommodations. And we're helping them develop those skills that represent the foundation of of their success. So they can find things faster. They can be productive, be efficient. They can not just complete homework, but understand what studying is and identify what maximizes recall and retention just for them. That might be different than their mom, their dad, their sibling, or their best friend. And, and then that those impressions management type of skills and how to convey to teachers 
answers, whether it's genuine or not. I want to be here. I'm interested. I'm trying hard. I'm doing my best. This is important to me. And talking about the benefits of doing that well and the consequences or missed opportunities of not doing that well. Um, so, you know, I would say four out of five clients have some strongly suspected or formally diagnosed learning difference. Uh, it could be ADHD, some mild and moderate dyslexia, dysgraphia, some processing issues, you know, et cetera. But that's what a typical client, you know, looks like for us. Uh, you know, it is important that at some level, you know, parents call all the time, but kids need to be on board. I'm not excited. I mean, I'm not crazy. You know, school's not super excited. I was going to say, I don't... I need them to, at some level, accept that whatever they're doing and the way that they're doing it isn't getting them where they need to be. And right. They have to be open to working with somebody um, at some level and making some adjustments for some better outcomes. I was going to ask that because I know a lot of kids have to absolutely... I hated school, so... Honestly, if my parents told me, hey, let's put you in some tutoring, you know, or uh, <laughs> however they would introduce that to their kids, it's like, oh, man, this is just more school. That's all it is, you know. But I do like, though, that it seems like there's probably some ways to that this is going to make those kids more excited about school because now it's like it's like how frustrated you would be if I'm trying to fit, you know, this drink cup into this mug. Right. And it's like, but if I can show you a way, to fix that to where you can do this easier. I'm going to be more excited about that now. It's like, I may be frustrated trying to do this the whole time, but then when you're like, Hey, no, that doesn't fit. Put it in this one instead. It's like, okay, now that it clicks, I'm excited because it's like, cool. I get it. So kids, kids get engaged. I think for, for two reasons. One is often their first reaction to having, you know, working with a, a tutor somebody for educational support is I'm already at school all day it's like taking another class, you know, like I don't have time for that. It just takes away from the time that I have to do homework and I have to do the homework anyway. And then that means I just have even less time to myself. Yep. And so I think kids realize from working with us that it's a little bit different. Sure. If you go to one of the national outfits, you know, a Kumon, Mathnasium, you know, like where you are, it's, there's a place for that, right? It's targeted work. The sure. idea is if you have some learning gaps or deficiencies, you work on those fundamentals and you have a better grasp of that and then you apply that knowledge to school. Our philosophy is different or our approach is different. I think there's a place for that, but our, our approach is we are helping kids to check things off the list that they have to check off anyway. So we are diving headfirst into their real life. We have something we call the million dollar question to kids every session, which is, all right, now that we've organizationally, everything's in place. Now that you have a comprehensive list in your planner of everything that is due over the next several days, and you have a plan of what you need to accomplish each day. Here's my million dollar question, Joey. I want you to tell me what on this list, pick one or two things that feel the most gnarly, gross, miserable, disgusting, ambiguous, anxiety-inducing, and hairy, sticky, and let's tackle that together today. And so it's something they have to do anyway, and we're helping them check it off their list. So, so kids feel better about that, that it's not just another class they're taking. We're actually saving them a multiple of the time that we spend together anyway. And then the second thing I tell them that makes them feel better is even though I'm in education, my, my dream is not for you to do school all day and all night long. 
Um, in fact, I recognize that almost everything in your life feels more fun and interesting than school. So <laughs> let me teach you some ways to get it out of the way quicker, um, more effectively, perform better, and let's knock it out so that you have more time to do those things that you enjoy. And then you'll enjoy those things more because you're doing better <laughs> and and you know that your stuff is done yep. and your parents are happy. They'll give you more privileges, you know, et cetera. And I think that those two, there's other reasons too, but those are the two big ways that, uh, you know, or realizations that I think students come to working with us um, that make them feel better about it. And they're actually excited for us to come. They ask for it. Yeah. That's how, like I said, that's exactly how it would feel. If I'm trying to put a square peg in a round hole and I don't know why it doesn't work, it's like everything you're doing being disorganized, like you said, whether it's neurodivergency because you just don't know how to organize yourself well or whatever the case may be, it's not working and it's frustrating. And it's like, this seems like the key that can unlock it and say, well, no, because you, you need to do it this way. And it's like, all right, now I got it. And I free up that time. We just talked about this on an episode, last episode, a CRM that we had on the show. And we were talking about how you know business owners spend so much time trying to hire new people, train new people, get new sales, and uh, you know all of these things that just pile on their list. Email back to those clients that you're thinking about. Make sure the projects are going the way they're supposed to whatever it may be. And it's like a CRM helps do that for you. So it helps automate that process. And it seems like what staying ahead of the game does is show you a way to manually analyze the processes you have and put them together in a way that keeps you organized on track and frees up that time, just like a CRM would for a business owner. Now, academically, you can free up your time to focus on what you want to because you have a clear track of what's going on. Yeah. A lot of I find that a lot of kids that are stressed out about school, and there's a lot more given the impact of the last few years on yep. kids, but a lot of what kids are stressed about is, did I am I missing something? Did I accomplish enough today? Did I work, get enough done on this project? And what we do is help kids create systems where everything is accounted for, and you have that peace of mind that you can answer that question with confidence, yes. Not yeah. only did I do what I, I've thought about it, I've thought about the timeline, I've broken this big you know, unit test into several chunks and I've mapped out when I'm gonna do each of those chunks and I'm actually ahead of schedule, right? So a lot of the stress comes from not having those systems in place and always it's like they have like PTSD from like, you know, this one thing they forgot or that day they showed up and didn't realize they had a test or, you know, but if you have good systems to account for everything and you've thought about the timeline and you've broken those big lofty things into more manageable chunks, and then you've assigned those chunks to, to different days, Monday, I'm going to do this, Tuesday, I'm going to do this part, then you can quantify and objectively say, yes, I have done not only enough, but even a little bit more than that, and I should feel good and sleep well tonight. And it, it alleviates a lot of that stress. I'm not saying that 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 explains all kids' stress and you no, know, but it's stress, definitely but, but it's a it. big, it's you know, a big and one chunk big thing for sure. too that I've always held on to. I was trying to find it on my computer here, but I can't find it. But it was that kind of explaining the education system, and it had like all these different animals on there, and they're all taking this test one way, and it's like it doesn't work the same way for everybody. You know, and I know it's not exactly the same to this situation, but it kind of is in the way that the public school system offers you as a student. Every student gets the same exact thing. There's classes you can take. There's hallways to get to those classes, a nice school building with a lunchroom, you know, everything that you need to get your classes done. There's teachers there that are available. They hand out your assignments. You have tests, you have all this stuff, but it seems like 
there's a lack of explaining to you how to be successful in school. Because the one big thing I noticed about college was, especially because I'm going to a brick and mortar school, Concordia University, but I have to do all that online because obviously I can't go to Austin and I don't have time to say every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I can go to school because I have too much other stuff going on. Uh, some of which take up my days on a rotating basis. So I'm, I'm available this Friday, but a couple Fridays from now I won't be because I'll be scheduled at my full-time job. So that school, because it's virtual, every single class you take, every time you start, you have to take this class that preps you for being able to keep up with your coursework. And it tells you, here's how you stay organized. Here's how you get your stuff out. Here's how you make sure that you're plotting enough time to take care of these tasks. Like it teaches you that stuff. And it's not something I ever remember going through in public school. And it's not something I remember my kids going through in public school. And and I may be wrong on that now. And I'm sure it varies district to district, but I like the fact that yours, your, you know, executive, um, sorry, what's the phrase that you coined here? Executive function. Executive function. I, I love that word because it really does whether it's executive function or academic function, however you want to you know name that for kids or for adults, it just teaches you how to do it properly. So what you're highlighting is a major problem and is great to talk about. My father was a clinical psychologist uh, and he said that in his PhD, clinical PhD program, they don't teach you how to actually run a clinical psychology practice. There you go. Business school teaches you a lot about business, but not how to actually operate a real business. Right. It, it teaches you how to analyze spreadsheets. It teaches you- Everything you behind know, the scenes. The, right. The different legal entities and the tax implications for that. I mean, you learn a lot in business school. Don't yep. get me wrong. It's valuable, but they don't teach you how to actually run a business. And And then similarly, they don't teach us in school- how to be successful actually in school kind of and in life. And so they teach you math, they teach you science. And, but so there, there, historically, there has been a class called Life Skills. Yep. But if you look it up, Life Skills has, is a course that's offered to kids with special needs, like severe special needs, right? And and it's about how to tie your shoes and, you know, hygiene and, you know, stuff like that. There needs to be a life skills class yes. taught at every school to every kid, neurotypical or neurodivergent. Absolutely. I don't care, you know, and and we're starting. You'll you'll see starting a couple years ago, right before the pandemic, more and more schools, public and private, were 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 starting to hire more learning specialists on staff. They were starting to offer courses. I know because I've taught some of those courses. Yeah. And the way I personally spend my time is not really with students anymore. I spend my time training educators and professionals and running professional development days and teacher in-services and, and putting schools on a system, helping them to put systems together to help at the school level. Now, I might be lecturing myself and presenting myself out of a job, um, but you know that's okay. My heart's in it and I think there's always going to be kids that, that struggle, but it. we need to do better on the school level yep. of helping kids with these executive function skills. We can't just stop at teaching them math and science. And, you know, it's funny, I, I you know, when I, I do a lot of public speaking and I talk about, um, you know, why do we go to school? That's like a really interesting question. Why do we go to school? And we don't do a good enough job of telling kids the real reason we go to school. Kids often say to their parents, and I, I know I did this and John, I bet you did too sitting in history class, you're learning about the rise and fall of the Byzantine Empire. 
And you're like, what the hell does this have to do with real life? 100%. How is this going to help me do podcasts? How is this going to help me do marketing? Yep. How is this going to help me be a good fireman? How is this going to, you know? And the answer is it probably won't. <laughs> and and ask about balancing chemical equations, ask about stoichiometry, ask about, you know, understanding all of in the, uh, in the Krebs cycle, all of the enzymes that are involved in glycolysis <laughs> or the Krebs cycle. You're how is that going to help biology? You? How is uh, that going to help you do real estate, you know, right. or, or, or invest money? It doesn't. And, but we spend a quarter to a third of our lives in school and we are the most complex organisms to ever walk the face of this planet. So, so there must be some good reason why we, you know, you send your kids to school, I send my kids to school, but I know damn well that a lot of the things that I learned in school, yeah. I don't think about every day um, and doesn't help me to be successful in my business. A lot of the, what I figured out, I figured out on my own, right? And so we need to do better at teaching kids why they're in school. And I believe the reason why kids are in school is to learn these executive function skills. They are learning how to function in the real world. I tell kids every class is valuable because if the topic is interesting, that's helpful. If it's uninteresting, how do you stay focused when something is uninteresting? There's going to be meetings, board meetings that you have yep. um, later that are really uninteresting. And guess what? Guess where you have the practice to stay focused and to still perform and smile and behave appropriately. You have that practice from school. Your teachers are like supervisors that you're going to have later. Most people are going to work for somebody at some point in their lives. Yep. That person is going to be, there's all different shapes, colors, sizes, accents, no accents, funny, not funny, approachable, not approachable, jerk, not a jerk, right? And kids have tons of experience with teachers of all different ages, shapes, sizes, colors, accents, approachability, you know, et cetera. And school is really where they're getting the practice in order to prepare them for the real world when the consequences are real. You know, you screw up, you F up and you say the wrong thing to somebody later in life and you don't have a job the next day. And yeah. then you're wondering how you're going to feed your family a month later, right? Or how you're going to pay rent. So the consequences are real. That's the real reason we're in school is to learn these executive function skills. The subjects are important to a degree. But often they are a vehicle through which to learn these executive function skills. And you're absolutely right. This is great to talk about. It's we are not doing a good enough job um, of teaching folks how to actually live in the real world and how to be successful now and later. Yeah, no. And I think you hit what I wanted to say right on the head, too, as far as like, I think some of the classes are important. As far as like the science, biology, physics, the math stuff, I think maybe we go too far into math sometimes because I'm never going to use polynomials doing <laughs> podcasting, sales for marketing or firefighting. Polynomials just won't exist for me. I don't often find myself needing to put, you know, letters into equations to figure out the actual number, but at the same time, there are some things when it comes to, you know, med math and stuff because I'm a paramedic, so I've been through the basics of biology. And so there's some med math and some basic math stuff that we need to learn, right? So it is important. Like some of those things are important. I'm not saying scrap the whole system, but what I do like is I'm seeing like Waller ISD where I came from, they're adding in some programs that are more focused on job-based or service-based things. Because the big thing for me was I knew when I graduated high school, I wasn't going to college. I didn't want to go to college. It wasn't my passion. The jobs I wanted to do didn't require it at the time. Now, of course, I'm in college now because to promote from where I'm at, I'm going to need a degree, but I'm only there because I have to be. College does nothing for me. Like you said, business school, I'm in it. I'm taking all those classes. And, and let me back up and say, not that it does nothing for me, because what I feel like we're saying is, is that basically 
This is a puzzle on the shelf at Walmart, Target, wherever you shop. And inside that box is every piece that you need to paint that picture. And the schools, I think, are doing a good job giving us these million piece puzzles. They're not telling us how to put the puzzle together and why it works and why we need to know and why we need to see the picture that we're putting together in that puzzle. It's like we're giving you everything you need to equip yourself. We're just not helping you equip yourself. You know, with it. And that's the big thing I see is teach me fire and EMS spring ISD does this. Or if it's not ISD spring, there is a school in spring that does this where it's like you want to be an EMT. You can get in the EMT program while you're in high school. You want to be a banker. You can run the bank with ATMs on site and learn how to do that. You want to get into food service, you're going to run our kitchen and you're going to serve the kids food at the school. You know, you want to learn any of these functions, then you have a place here at the school. And I'm like, that's what I needed. I needed something like that where I felt I fit in because what happened was when I got frustrated, I didn't just say, let me reach out and find somebody who can help me not feel frustrated and train me better on it. I just said, light switch off. I'm done. I don't care about this place anymore. Yeah, we we need to do a better job of making it meaningful. Yeah, I I definitely don't want the takeaway here to be school is not important. At all. It's quite the opposite. School is important. We just, I think we need to explain a bit better why school is important earlier. And I think kids will be more engaged because if we keep telling them that, no, 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 you need to know about the Mayans and the Incas and, and, that, and you have to do that in order to be successful in life. The, if, 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 if all we're doing is that, we, we've lost them. You know, We need to explain why each class is valuable and how, like you said, the, the picture, the goal, right? And yep. now here are the pieces. And this is why it's important to see the big picture and to put them together. And by the way, and here's step-by-step kind of how you put it together. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. A little more instruction because when we started building puzzles as kids, we didn't know the tips and tricks. Yep. Hey, start with your corner pieces. Find the colors that look the same and like do all these things. It's like equip me to build the puzzle faster because now I get it. Now looking at my business classes, I'm like, okay, this makes sense. I see why I need to know these things because when I am going to run a business, I need to know the tax implications. I need to know what uh, it is to do a journal entry and I need to know what budgeting is. And, I, and all of those things make sense and fit. I just didn't see it until later in life. And it's like, if I could have known ahead of time, how much better would I be? And no, you're hundred percent correct. I don't want anyone listening to think, oh yeah, he doesn't value school at all. I value school heavily. I, we are on our kids' butts all the time about doing well in school, but we're trying to teach them why, you know, and if you have one adult conversation with somebody, I say adult loosely on Facebook (laughs) in one of those debates, you can see why history class is important. You can see why government classes are important because so many of us walk around all day not knowing a thing about how this country runs. And I equate that to not getting a good enough education or valuing that education enough. It's not seeing the whole. It's you're seeing the parts, but you don't see the whole, right? Anybody living in this country, I mean, you're driving on the streets, you know, somebody built those, you know, you pay taxes, but you might not connect that your taxes you're paying are, are going toward that. Right. And, you know, the importance of voting, you know, et cetera. So yeah, you're right. I mean, not, not many people could uh, name beyond the, the president or vice president, you know, right. and I think that that's really sad. Or what they do or, and yeah. why, you or, know, or what they do and why. Yeah. Yep. It's a, it's a, a crazy system that we have that I think works for the most part. It's mostly there. It's mostly good. We just, we have some strong changes. So I like that y'all are helping make some of those changes. So for those parents listening there right now that are like, okay, 
I connect with this guy. I love where he's going. Now I want to make my kid better, you know, or maybe this is a high school kid or a college kid listening. That's like, Hey, you know what? I like this. I want to go, I want to go learn. What do we need to do to get in touch with you, get in touch with your staff and figure out if you're a good fit and how we move forward? Um, yeah, wonderful. So we, the first thing I would encourage families to do is we're no pressure people. You know, I don't make people sign big, long commitments. I don't believe in that. If something is working, then people will stick around. And if it's not working, no good comes from holding anybody hostage for anything. So we don't have these big packages with long commitments and make people prepay for 30, 40, 50 sessions. What I would do as a parent, no matter where you're located, inside of Houston, outside of Houston, even outside the country, we have on our website, uh, which Beefy is involved in, and it's wonderful, <laughs> um, on our website, we have some fantastic, fantastic blogs. I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens of wonderful blogs, rich with just completely free information. Yeah. We also have have eBooks that you can download, also completely for free, no commitment, you know, nothing. On Instagram, at SAOTG, and on Facebook, uh, Staying Ahead of the Game. And we even have a LinkedIn business page. And even connect, you can connect with me personally on LinkedIn. Um, I write articles there too. But between the blogs and the eBooks and then the timely posts on social media, you know, before midterms or finals, we're posting study tips. Before the school year starts, it's tips for organization and having, you know, the best school year yet. When we're approaching summer, it's tips for the summer. So it's very timely tips. And the best thing is all free. It's yeah. all free. And we've put a ton of time and money into it just for folks out there. So I would start there just to start getting some information. If you think that you're interested and and want to see if it's a if it's a good fit and check availability, the best thing to do is to call our office. You can go to our website and submit an inquiry, but most folks, at least in my Texas office, we have a big operation in Washington, D.C., a sister company called Illuminos. But um, most folks in Texas, i found just, it's uh, really warm to just call in. 713-665-GAME, 713-665-4263. And uh, my office manager, her primary function is to answer questions, assess if it's a good fit, and in a, a white glove, seven-star fashion, walk you through easily and simply as possible the onboarding process if it is a good fit. And then, you know, there's some onboarding paperwork like, you know, everything else. Uh, it's pretty thorough. There's an option for a new student evaluation if if a family feels that the paperwork didn't fully appreciate all of their circumstances, then yes, we want more. We want more color to the picture. So um, we have an optional new student evaluation, not clinical or diagnostic, just to learn more. And then we have this wonderful mind print assessment. And you don't even have to sign up for services to do that. This is a great assessment, not developed by me. I'm jealous. I wish I I wish I did develop <laughs> it. But it assesses 10 core cognitive and executive functions. It can even predict SAT and ACT scores, but anybody 8 to 21 years old can take it from home in an hour. It assesses these 10 core cognitive and executive functions and basically tells you where your strengths lie, where you need nourishment, and where you're on level. Um, so that's also an option. Um, adds more color to the picture. So we try to get as much info as we can, all toward helping students and affect as much change as quickly as possible and get the right fit of uh, on our team. And I would say we're good, very good, very very good. I'm not perfect, so if we ever if it's ever a misfit, you know, we take care of families, communicate readily, we'll go back to the drawing board, figure out what might not have 
been the best, uh, you know, kind of fit. And we've got, like I said, the biggest team in, in, in all of Houston. So we'll, we'll get right back and make it, make it good on the financial side. The most important thing is that kids get, kids get what they need. So our website is saotg.com. Our Instagram is at saotg. Our Facebook is uh, slash staying ahead of the game. And then on LinkedIn, connect with me personally. I write articles just to, uh, just like I, I do television contributions to uh, education, uh, contribute for education-related topics. I do that on LinkedIn too. So I write articles out there for free just to the masses about some things going on in education. Talk about school portals, the learning gaps from COVID and mitigating learning loss. I mean, just all really neat, neat topics. Just trying to help. Um, so that's the best way to to get in touch with us. And um, we look forward to you doing it. Yeah. So um, the executive function test that you're talking about there, that is available online and you take it online or is that something y'all give whenever you come out for that visit? And- uh, so we offer it as part of the onboarding. So every student, new student who's onboarding with us, we offer it to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but somebody can totally call our office, say they're interested in the mind print assessment, and we can just do that as as an independent, isolated service. It doesn't have to be tied to our ongoing, regular academic coaching and tutoring. So yeah, no, that's that's great. And not a single person in the three years that we've been offering it has said, wow, that's that's a waste of money. And yeah. I'm really upset I did that. It is not the results. It's a very practical test. So the results often agree with neuropsych or psychoeducational testing results that families do for the purposes of accommodations at school and IEPs and 504 plans at public schools, right. you know, et cetera. And then, then you get a diagnosis. This is not a diagnostic tool, but the results often agree and it's just a few hundred bucks. So it's a lot cheaper. It's like 10% the cost of, of neuropsych testing. And we have families that did neuropsych testing and do this because the report, we include a 30-minute debrief highlighting the most interesting results and then give families the report. And there are links, even if they're not clients of ours, it's it, all the report has hyperlinks to specific strategies based on how that individual scored on each portion of that. Test. If you're homeschooling or something like that, then even this could be a basic resource where it's like, maybe you don't need us all the way and you're able to help your kids you're giving them not only the puzzle pieces, but you're actually showing them, hey, here's, here's how you put it together and use it. Oh, amazing. So yeah. we share the results with our coaches if we're working with a student. But if somebody just comes in and, and does this mind print assessment, then we give the family the results and they could totally stop there. And and if a family, if they've got good relationship and, and can work with their own kids and, yeah. you know, great, they can use that. And it gives you infinite knowledge about, it's almost like cheating. I mean, every and the right. idea is everybody fingerprint is different. Everybody's mind print is different. Yeah. And so this gives you somebody's unique mind print and then caters and crafts and caters specific recommendations, tools, research driven strategies just for that profile. Yeah. I can tell you right now, I don't have the patience. I'm not the guy. Plus I feel like my kids probably would react better to having someone else that's not their parent telling them these things and helping because you know how it is you tell your kids something a million times and you know like about baseball and then they go out there and the baseball coach tells them and they're like oh my gosh that makes so much sense and it's like bro i told you this already (laughs) why didn't you listen to me but it's like well because your dad you know so uh, there's actually an adult version of this test for over 21 and nasa uses it for their astronauts and high level like employees gosh and it's awesome i had my 
leadership team take it? You hit me up offline if you uh, are interested. Yeah, no, I, I want to put my, at least my oldest son, I want him to take it really bad. My youngest is about to turn eight and I think she's probably doing well enough right now. And she's so young that it's like, well, it may not be ready. You know, like you said, when she's a little older, not first, second, third grade, but a little bit older. It's like, all right, cool. She might need something. But um, I was definitely thinking about my son during this entire conversation because he just, he struggles all the time. He's doing well on grades, but he just seems so stressed about it and he struggles with organizing it. And then he comes home and he's frustrated. He has to practice his band instrument and he's frustrated. He has to do this stuff. And it's like, I'm seeing a lot of things in here that make me interested as a parent. So um, that's really cool, man. And then, like you said, all the free stuff that you're doing on top of that, it's a no brainer. You have to check this stuff out. Plus, I believe you've been on Deborah Duncan, right? <laughs> so uh, probably a half dozen times. Yeah, um, she's uh, she's great. You know, just a well-known figure, superstar in Houston. Um, love her, love her team, and uh, yes, I've I've done that at least five or six times, yeah. and and I'll probably do more. I really I enjoy it. You know, she's got a big reach, and if you if you're talking about topics that are relevant to um, folks all over, but certainly here in Houston. A lot of folks are watching her show. So yeah, and that's Deborah a big Duncan, thing. great day, Houston. <laughs> I say that to say, you know, you're a big deal. Like this isn't just some fly by night company that no, but, but seriously, like this isn't somebody who we're having on here that's talking about these principles and these things and these ideas. And it's like, oh yeah, sure. It's just someone trying to make some money. They've got, you know, five or 10 students in the process right now. It's like, no, this is, this is a big deal. There's a lot of research we talked about today that goes behind it. A lot of experience from you personally. So man, I'm super excited to have you as a guest. I think well, it was thanks, a great man. conversation. I, I appreciate you having me. Uh, you know, I love you guys. And uh, this has been a long time in the making and yep. honored to be the last guest on the this beefy podcast <laughs> the last season here. Guest. Um, thanks for, thanks for having me. And it's awesome. And you guys, you guys rock. And I just hope that that families have gained something, even one or two tips from what we've talked about tonight uh, and, you know, love it. So um, come visit our website, uh, reach out to us any way we can help. Um, thanks for having me and uh, appreciate it. Oh, of course, man. hundred percent. No. So that's it for the beef podcast, but we have a brand new show. It's going to still be, you're, you're going to find us right here where you do. If you've already followed us, you don't have to follow us again. Nothing's going to change for our listeners. Nothing's going to change for the viewers who tune into our YouTube channel. Um, the only thing that's going to change is the name. And then of course the intro outro, the artwork, all of that stuff is going to be fresh, brand new. I don't know, John, should we, should we tell them what the name is? I, I think maybe we should. I think that would be a nice little way to end this episode. Now right? I'm interested. I want All to right. hear it. All right. So here we go. Let's do this. Ladies and gentlemen, thank y'all for tuning in to another episode of the Beef Podcast. As always, you can find us every single week. It's just next week, there's going to be a new name behind it. So every single Thursday, wherever you get your podcast, you know you can find our episodes. You know that it's going to come out. We never miss a week. It's been a year that we've done this podcast, The Beef, and we've never missed an episode. Not one. So you know you're going to find that new episode every single Thursday. It's just next episode is going to come to you with the name Small Business 
origins because we are now on a nationwide hunt to find companies from across the United States that want to tell their business story, not only what they're doing now, but where they came from, how they started and how they got to the point that they are now. So you'll have to find us a small business origins next week. And I cannot wait to show you everything behind it when we get to that point. But right now, as always, you're just going to have to stay beefy, my friends. You've been listening to The Beef. Thanks for listening. Make sure to like, rate, and review. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information that you can use. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, follow us on social media. Hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Beefy Marketing. Would you like your business featured on The Beef? Know a business that should be featured? Visit beefymarketing.com slash the beef. Remember, branding is about a connection with you and your people. Till next time, thanks for listening to The Beef.